All right, so this morning we're going to be in Isaiah 36, and actually we're going to read Isaiah 36 and a, a, about half of Isaiah 37. So we're going to go through uh, um, a little bit of scripture, which, hey, praise the Lord, we need that. Uh, but we're going to look at Hezekiah and this uh, encounter he has with Sennacherib. And so the title of today's message is Bound by Trust. So before we get started, I'd just like to open us in uh, another word of prayer. Father God, I thank you for another opportunity to just share your word and to speak the message that you've given, Father. So I pray for myself, Lord, that you would just move me out of the way, Father God, that the, the, in, the flesh would just come to ruin, that your spirit might live and speak, Father God. And I pray that your presence would rest in this room with, with all peace and joy and, and fullness, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be open to your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, so Isaiah 36 and 37. Before we start reading, I just want to put forth a question. Do we trust God? Do we trust God? You know, it's a pretty, it's a pretty simple question. Um, one of the things that you should know about the Christian life, if you don't know already, is simple doesn't always mean easy, right? Uh, the Christian walk is incredibly simple. It's not necessarily easy. So this question, do we trust God? It's a simple question, but it may be a hard one. You know, I, I like to, to explain to people, or try to get people to understand that this word faith, right? This word faith that is so profound, that is really the staple, the foundation of the Christian life, we're saved by faith, right? Not by works. In fact, the Bible says that the just should live by faith. That's a moment-to-moment -moment decision to decision, breath by breath, living by faith. This word faith really just means trust. And uh, if you want to really simplify it, I trust in the fact that Jesus is who he said he was, so I surrender my life. And I trust that because he rose again and he gave a promise that in him I will rise again and be with God forever. I trust that. And if I really trust that, then the whole outcome of my life should be dependent and should be formed according to that trust. And so in this word, we have faith. But here's the thing. Whatever you trust, you become bound to. Whatever you trust, you become bound to. You know, if you trust in your finances, you'll be bound by them. You won't be able to let go of them. If something comes against your bank account, you'll fear that. Because you're bound to that thing. If you trust in relationships... You'll, you'll do whatever you can to not lose that thing. If you're, if you're bound to a title, if you're bound to a job, if you're bound to a program, if your trust is in any of these things, that is what you're going to follow. And that is what you're going to fear. And I love it. I was talking, I was, uh, uh, for one of the first home churches I ever did, um, we were talking about the fear of the Lord. And I'll, I'll never forget Becky uh, Jeffrey's wife chimed in and she just made the simple comment, you know, whatever you fear is what you serve. And it's very true. You know, and all this is bound up in trust. And vice versa, if you want to know what you trust, 
Look at what you are most afraid of losing. Look at what you devote most of your energy to, to building or hanging on to. And whatever that is, that is what your trust is in. So today we're going to look at a man who put his trust in God. We're going to look at a man who bound himself to the living God in trust. A king who walked righteously in the sight of God and did all according to all of his commandments. And his name was Hezekiah. Now, the story of Hezekiah is also found in 2 Kings, I think chapters 19, 20, somewhere around there. And it gives a little bit more, uh, this is a little bit more concise in Isaiah. But it talks about Hezekiah and how he tore down the idols in the high places, how he destroyed the serpent staff of Moses that was being worshipped, how he did according to the commands of the Lord, and how the Lord blessed him in everything that he did, to such an extent that they said there was never a king like Hezekiah after him. Never. Who walked faithfully with the Lord. You know, and we're going we're gonna to look at this, uh, the story of Hezekiah and how the, the enemy brings in this temptation over and over, this temptation to trust in the things which are most readily available, the things that are most easily the seen, seen, the things that we hear and that seem so real before us, but is really just that, just intimidation. Right? And we're going to see how Hezekiah remained bound to the Lord in trust. And because of that, because of that, we're going to look at how the Lord our God bound himself to Hezekiah in faithfulness. So let's start. Let's read the first uh, 12 verses of 36. It says, now, when it came, now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. Then the king of Assyria sent uh, the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. Then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is, is this in which you trust? I say you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leads, it will go into his hand, and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. 
Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak to us in Hebrew, in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words, and not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? So this is a a pretty terrifying scene. So you got to understand, the Lord has called out Israel as his own people. He's given them promises. He's given them signs. He's been faithful to them. And they have rebelled time and time and time again. And he sent them prophets and sent them words of repentance. And maybe they'd come back to him and say, Lord, save us. And then they turn right back around. And at this point now, Israel has been split in two. There's the northern kingdom of Israel, called Israel. And there's the southern kingdom of Judah. And so Assyria has already laid waste to the northern kingdom. Assyria has already captured Samaria. They've already set up against the fortified cities of even Judah now and have come to the capital city of Jerusalem. And there is no hope, none, for any of these people. He said, man, I'll give you, you know what? I'll even give you 2,000 horses if you can even put someone on them. How are you going to defend even the least of one of our soldiers? And you know what? That was not a lie. That was a true statement. And it's interesting, you know, in fact, we we read in the call of worship that in Isaiah 37, verse 26, it says even that the Lord brought up Sennacherib for the purpose of overtaking his enemies, for the purpose of coming against fortified cities. And so here's the Rabshakeh standing with a great army. But we have to understand, Rabshakeh means, it's a title, right? It means chief of a chief cupbearer, can mean uh, chief of princes. This is like a a grand vizier. This guy is a a guy of a high title, high position. So what this means is this is a smart man. This is a man of understanding, of wisdom, of war, right? And so he has a strategy. And this is very important to understand your enemy's strategy. Because if you understand your enemy's strategy, you know how to protect yourself against it. And if you don't, you're vulnerable. It's just life. So this Rabshika has a strategy, and he thinks to himself, uh, we're just going to look at the context and assume, hey, if I can intimidate these people in such a way where the only thing they think is going <laughs> to help them, uh, or the only thing they could think of is how they're going to lose everything by standing against me, you know what's going to happen? They'll just forfeit their loyalty to the king, and they'll just walk right over to us. Sounds pretty good. If I was, you know what, if I wanted to take a city, that's how I'd want to do it. I don't even have to pull my sword. You scare them enough, they'll just walk over and join us. Battle's done. And it's interesting because this is his strategy. But he's going to have to convince them, right? He's going to have to convince them that that is their best option. And so you know what he does? You know how, what, he, what he does when he comes against uh, Judah? He addresses primarily one thing. He questions them and attacks one thing. Who do you really trust? Who do you really trust? Do you really trust this king of yours that he's going to be able to protect you? Do you really trust? Man, this sounds pretty familiar, and I'll get into that in a little bit. 
But do you really trust? He says in verses four through five, where is your trust? Is it in Egypt? Do you think Egypt will help you? Are you going to put your trust in other men and other powers of the world? Man, you're going you're to pierce yourself on that. And hey, they were right. There's no, that wasn't going to help them. He says in verse 7, is it in the Lord? Is that where you put your trust? It's interesting. He's got this, this warped worldly idea that because Hezekiah has torn down the false altars, you know, which is pleasing to the Lord, but he says, look, man, look at all the other nations of the world. They have many gods. They have many altars, and none of them could save them. You've cut them all down to one, and do you think your Lord will save you? That's basically what he's saying. You don't have anywhere near what the other nations have. How will your Lord deliver you? And then he says this in verse, <laughs> in verse 10, he says, And don't you know it was actually your God who told me to come against you? Man, and this is, this is, uh, this is real tricky. You know, every false teaching, every false teaching, or let me say this, the best false teaching, and every lie of Satan, the best lies of Satan, they start with the truth, and they just take one small step to the side. That's it. And they go forward with that. And then they take one small step until finally you're so far out and gone that you don't even know where the truth is. And you know what? The Lord did raise these men up to destroy nations. It may have even been, we don't know for sure, that the Lord may have even had them go to Jerusalem. We know that the Lord handed Israel, the, the northern kingdom, over to them because of their wickedness. But did the Lord really give over his faithful servant Hezekiah to Sennacherib? We don't, the word doesn't tell us that. But that's what he says. That's the intimidation. Your God is going to hand you over. And if they would simply believe that, the pff, war is over. No more fighting. Guys, this is the tactic of the enemy against you. The same exact way. In fact, I, I have a lot I could say about this scenario and Sennacherib and, and the Rabshakeh and the end of times and how things are going to happen. We're not going to go into all that. But this is the tactic of the enemy. We have to make sure our eyes are open and that we're not blind to these things because these are heavy things, right? And here's the deal. Satan doesn't have to attack us physically. He doesn't have to put, uh, pull a book of Job against your life to make you forfeit your loyalty to the king. He really doesn't. All he has to do is intimidate someone and say, God's not going to help you. You're not strong enough, and you can't just sit around and hope that God's going to take care of it. If you don't do something now, if you don't yourself do something now, you're doomed. That is what the enemy will tell you again and again and again. And I don't have to convince you because if, you've, if you're in Christ, you've already heard it. You've already heard it. And you can remember. And that's all he has to say. And so often, you know what people do? That's right. That makes sense. Here's, here's my blessing. I see it and it's running away from me. If I don't chase after it, God's not just going to give it to me. After all, I mean, that would mean he's in control of everything and he's good. Oh, wait a minute. Well, that wasn't part of, uh, that wasn't part of the, uh, you know, the rapture could have left that part out, right? 
And so people will say, you know what, that's right. And they walk out of their blessing and they walk out of the protection of the Lord and they literally hand themselves over to bondage and defeat because of intimidation. What an easy, what an easy victory. And so that's the Rapshika's goal here. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even want to fight. doesn't have to. Now he's willing to in this case. But let's continue. Let's look at verses 13 through 22. Let's see what he continues to say. say. So the Rapshika stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew. He wants to make sure everybody hears this in their own language. And he said, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah, your king, deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present. Come out to me, and every one of you eat of his own vine." Eat from his own fig tree. Every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. And you know, I'll come and I'm going to take you away. But you know what he says? He says, I'm going to give you something that's going to be just as good. Don't worry about it. I'm going to give you a similar land, right? A land of grain and new wine. I'll give you bread and vineyards. But beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath or Hamath? I don't know how to say these. And Arpad. And where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. But they held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshika. So listen what he says again. <laughs> He's not even, not even trying to hide his, his threats. Do not trust the Lord, your God, and do not listen to your king. If you act now, you know what? Come make peace with me. Come out. We'll we'll let you keep everything you want in life. You want to hang on to those things you love? You want to hang on to those things you work on? Follow us. Man, if that's not the message of Satan today, I don't know what is. You know what? Don't Don't listen to the Lord. You might lose something. Follow me. You can have whatever you want. It'll be good. All you have to do is trust the enemy and make peace with the the ways of the world. No big deal. It's even funny. He says, he even tells them plainly, yeah, we're going to send you into exile. No big deal. But look how he explains it. He basically says, hey, Yeah, we're going to take away the blessings and the inheritance God has given you. But you know what? It won't be that bad. We'll give you something good. It'll be all right. And when you understand that, that this is the land, this is the inheritance that God has given his people, 
and you say, and they'll say, hey, I'm going to take away the inheritance God has given you and just, yeah, I'll give you something else. It sounds crazy when you say it that way. Doesn't that sound crazy? Can anybody here say yes, that sounds crazy? Okay, thank you. That's crazy. But you know what? It sounds real nice when he says it. Hey, hang on to what you have. In fact, we'll give you something, we'll give you something even nicer. We'll give you something good too. <laughs> and it's crazy. They say it just well enough that some of those people might have thought, you know, that's not half bad. Hey, that'll be easier. Hey, I don't have to worry about going through this. And you know what? I might get something nice out of it. I might even kind of enjoy it. And so many times people say, people are willing, and they don't even realize that they're deceived by the enemy, because that's his tactic to deceive us, that they're willing to trade away the blessings of God for bondage, for exile, because they think, hey, everything will work out well. If at any time Satan said, oh yeah, here's some sin, it'll be a good time, oh, but by the way, it's going to cause death. If that's how he said it to us, we would be like, well, that's really dumb. I'm not going to do that. But he leaves that part out. He leaves that part out. Pretty intentionally, I think. Kind of a punk, in my opinion. But he says, after all, no one else was saved. Look at the other people in your condition. Did it work out well for them? No other God was able to protect them. Why should the God of Israel be any different? And remember, he said, after all, it's him that's handing you over. And we do this all the time. But here's the thing. God did hand over Israel to Sennacherib because they had forsaken his ways. But Hezekiah was a man who loved God, who feared God, and who surrendered not just his will, but the will of the kingdom to the will of the Lord. And God is faithful. And God honors those who honor him. That's what the word of God says, that he will honor those who honor him. And so we, we're going to see that. God tells us to wait and to trust in him, and he will bring his will to pass. But as we wait, this is what happened, guys. Really consider this. As we are waiting for the Lord, what happens is the situation looks like we might not get what we want. We see it actually running for us, from us for a time. And almost every time we have to wait and endure for something for Christ, it looks like it gets worse at first. It does. Many times. Right? Or that we start to think if we wait on God, we might actually miss a blessing, which is so backwards, I don't even want to go there at the moment. And so we actually are willing to abandon, abandon his, the security that is found standing behind a shield of faith. And we run straight into the hand of the enemy because we trust the lie. We trust the temptation. We trust the fear rather than God. And so we become bound once again to our own ruin. And that's the truth. It's the truth. So the rapture simply plants a, a seed of doubt. He plants some fear. says, don't trust in the Lord. And then he just sits there and waits. He just sits there and waits. But here's the thing. Hezekiah is a wise man, right? He's a king who loves the Lord, follows him faithfully. So I want you to see, I want you to see the wisdom in, uh, <laughs> that Hezekiah gives to his people. In verse, uh, in verse 21, you know what he instructs the people? And this is, 
you got to understand, he's instructed the people to do this before the enemy ever even showed up. You know what he instructed the people to do? Don't answer that sucker a word. Don't say a word to that guy. You know, I wonder what things would have looked like if Adam would have given that same command to Eve. You know what? Don't even talk to that stupid snake. Who talks to a snake anyways? I don't know, right? That's kind of weird. I wonder what would have happened if Adam would have said, you know what, if anybody says anything to you about the command of the Lord, don't even talk to him. I bet you Genesis 3 would have went a whole lot, whole lot better, right? And so King Hezekiah gives this command, don't even talk to, the, to him, because it was talking to the, servant, to the serpent that Eve was deceived, because Satan planted a seed of doubt, he planted a false promise, hey, God's not, you know, he's holding back from you. And if you just, just follow what I say and things will be much better, I promise. That's, what, that's what basically what Satan told Eve. And she trusted her own understanding rather than the word of the Lord. And so there's a great wisdom in just the simple statement of, you know what, do not entertain a conversation with the enemy. Don't. And by the way, when he talks, he doesn't show up as a snake, okay? If you're thinking you've never talked to Satan or... or or a demon because there was no snakes talking to you, think again, because they speak here. They speak here. And all of a sudden, these little voices and these doubts and these fears, and it's one thing if you're sitting around thinking about it already, but a lot of times it just comes out of nowhere. Just this thought. Well, oh my gosh, what if this happens? Out of nowhere. And then suddenly you're thinking about it and you're conversating and you're, you're dwelling on that and you're having a conversation with Satan. You don't even know it. Do not entertain a conversation with the enemy and do not make peace with the things of this world. Because James 4, 4 says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world is enmity, hatred, right? Enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And see, that's what the Rabshakeh did not tell these people. The rapture said, come, make friends with the nations and the armies of the world. But what God says, if you do that, you will make yourself my enemy. Because I am not with those people. The enemy will always tell you, don't trust in the Lord. Come, let's make peace, and there will be blessings here too. And I guarantee you, it is a lie. It is a lie. You know, Satan, Satan didn't lie to Eve. Their eyes were opened. That happened. But he said, and you will be like God. He said, man, this will be sweet. And when their eyes were opened, they were ashamed. They were ashamed. They hid themselves from each other, and they hid themselves from God. I don't know about you. I don't want to have to hide myself from the Lord. In Isaiah 64, 4, this is something Pastor Mark brought up in an elder board meeting, and I just couldn't help, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It says, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Waits for him. And so we're going we're gonna to see Hezekiah respond this way. So, Verses 1 through 13 of Isaiah 37, it says this. 
And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priest, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, the day is, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy. For the children have come to birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his masters, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. Don't fear those things with which the servants of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. You know, God takes these things personally. When you bound your, bind yourself to trust to the Lord, and the enemy comes against you, and the world comes against you, God takes that as blaspheme against him. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he heard that he had departed from uh, Lachish. And the king heard concerning Tirica, king of Ethiopia, he has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to the king of Judah. Do not let your God in who you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall, be not, or shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? So I'm going to stop right there. He gives the same threat. Okay? I'm going to save us just a little bit of time. And it's interesting. He takes his, his request to God. When Hezekiah, when he hears these, this uh, um, intimidation, these, these attacks from the devil, you know what his first response is? He immediately goes into the presence of the Lord. And he humbles himself before God. And he asks God for help. Immediately. Immediately. He didn't make plans for war. He immediately went before the Lord. Because here's the thing. The truth is, if this war is of the strength or the ability of King Hezekiah, if that's what this is based on, they are already doomed and they should surrender. That's the truth. And you know, it's, it's, we don't have to go to a temple. The Lord is here. But sometimes it's best to go to a place, a sanctuary. Sometimes it's best to go to brothers and sisters and say, will you pray with me? Because that's what this king did. He sent his messengers to, uh, to uh, the prophet and said, cry out to God for us. And so this is also a good, pretty good technique. If Satan wants to talk to you, if fears and intimidation want to talk to you, just turn and talk to Jesus. Turn, don't even entertain. Turn and talk to Jesus. I guarantee you he's got better things to say. And I guarantee you those words that come against you won't match up with what his words will tell you. Run to the word of the Lord. Because by hearing, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
And it's interesting, the Lord responds and said, you know what, I'm going to turn him away. And he does. They get turned away. They have to go deal with this other attack. And even being turned away, look at this. The enemy is so desperate to your life. Even after God rebukes him, and he's, they were standing before Jerusalem with power, now they're gone. And now he's writing letters. Oh, uh, you still need to surrender, by the way. Don't forget. Don't forget. Yeah, okay, God is, you know, okay, we're, we're, we're out of here. Don't forget to surrender. And the threats come. Who here has ever been in a trial or a temptation and they prayed, Lord, deliver me. And there was a moment of relief and then it came right back. Anybody? Satan plays for keeps. Okay? He writes a letter, intimidates again. And this time, it's interesting, the way Hezekiah reads it, and I'm going to skip down to this part, he takes this threat now. He, and he, you know what he does? As the threat increases, his boldness before God increases. And he takes this letter, and he goes to the temple, and he lays the letter before God. And he says this in verse 16, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach who? You, God. He has reproached you. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to all the nations in their land. This is true. This is true and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord of God, save us from this hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are Lord and you alone. I'm telling you what, if this is not how you pray, you better change the way you pray. That's not a suggestion. I'm just going to tell you. You need to change the way you pray. I was talking with Summer, and Summer, her parents, her family, she came from, they're uh, apostolic. It's just a, it's a dry, works-based religion, right? Um, in fact, apparently we're a cult, and I'm a false prophet, so go figure. Um, but she was on the phone with her just recently and telling her, hey, I'm in Houston, and I'm sharing the gospel, and I'm doing these things. And her, her mother said, no, you're doing it all wrong. You've got to wear your skirts, and you've got to keep your hair up, and... You know, that'll get you right with God. You, you're, you're teaching all wrong. And she said, no, it's, it's about grace. And so at the end of this conversation, you know, she said, you know, I'm just going to pray for you. And her mom said this, man, I'll tell you what. Her mom said this, yeah, you know what? You pray to me to your God, and I'll pray for you to my God. And we'll see. That poor woman has no idea what she just got herself into. She has no idea. When you understand that the battle is not yours, and yes, if you want to fight it, you can. And God will say, hey, let me know, let me know when you're done, buddy. And by the way, I used to be a fighter. I used to have knockout on my knuckles. All of these knuckles are broken. Some of them stick out. I've dislocated both shoulders and an elbow right? Fighting hurts. 
a lot of times, even if you win, it hurts. You don't have to fight. When you take the fight to the Lord and say, God, you are God. There is no other God. And this fight is yours. They have blasphemed you. You declare yourself. You glorify yourself. I am binding my trust to you. The Lord takes that personally. And I just want to read this one last (laughs) small couple of verses. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, said to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Listen to how God responds. Because you prayed to me against. Because you prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. And that is, the rest of it is what Pastor Mark read for the call of worship. Where, and I'll just highlight a couple things. Whom have you reproached? Whom do you Sennacherib, whom have you lifted your voice and eyes up to? Is it not the living God against the Holy One of Israel? He says, did you not hear from long ago how I made these things? And at the very end of it, after he gives a sign, he speaks against them. He says, you will not, he says, he will, uh, Sennacherib, the, the enemies, they won't even come into your city. They won't even shoot an arrow at you. And God says, for I will defend this city to save it for my own name's sake and for my servant David. Because of my name and my promise, I will do it. I will do it. And the angel of the Lord killed 185,000. And they left. Nobody had to fight because the Lord fought for them. Hezekiah bound himself to the Lord in trust, and the Lord bound himself to Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem in return. I want you to take Hezekiah's example to heart. It's not enough to be called a Christian. We have to bind our ways to his ways. We have to bind our words to his words, and we have to understand that the enemy's attack is an attack on him. And if you give it to him and say, Lord, See your servant. Acts 4.29, Lord, consider their threats and give us boldness to proclaim the word and to outstretch your hand to do signs and wonders. Same prayer. Consider this, Lord, and you respond. Do not allow yourself to entertain the voice of the enemy. Rather, do this. Pray against. Not just, Lord, say, pray against the attack. Pray against the enemy and with humility and boldness proclaim that the battle is God's. Put it on his account and he is faithful to fulfill it. But you must wait on the Lord. My last comment. This was not a, you know, we just read through two chapters. Really, if you sat down and read the whole thing, it might take you five minutes if you're a fast reader. This probably was a course of actions that went over days, if not weeks, where Hezekiah had to pray and pray, and where the insults and intimidations came, and he had to pray until finally, in boldness, he said, Lord, it's yours. 
and the Lord delivered. Wait on the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your calling. Lord, that your calling and your gift is not revocable, Father God. I, pray, I just thank you, Lord Jesus, that you said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And uh, what, a, what an amazing thing to hear, that our salvation wasn't earned, and because it wasn't earned, it can't be forfeited, Lord, but that it's in your hands. And so, Father God, we just pray that you would deliver us, Father God, from the weight of fear and doubt. That you would deliver us, Lord, from the intimidation of the enemy. That you would deliver us, Lord, from sin and death. Because ultimately, it is your word, your testimony in which we stand. And so, Lord, the battle is yours. And so right now, I pray against the spirit of the enemy. I pray that you would cast them down, that they would fall into their own pits and traps, and that your people would be delivered, that we would hear increased praises, Lord, that we would see new baptisms, Father God, and that the spirit of the living God would move, because, Father, we cannot do it ourselves. So we acknowledge you, Lord, and we give the battle to you. And for Summer's mother, Father God, you heard her threats and that it was you who was challenged. So we pray that you would bring salvation there. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.